This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Andrew from Overdue, the podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. Hi, I'm Craig. I'm here too. <laughs> uh, this week we talk about uh, Cushiel's Dart by Jacqueline Carey. It's a fantasy book that's got a lot of explicit sexual content in it. So we wanted to give you guys a heads up. We don't uh, we don't get too far out into the weeds, but things get do do get a little more racy this week than they normally get. So if you've got any any folks listening with you that you would rather not uh, listen to sex talk with, that seems like it seems like an episode to say for your for your own self. And if you have people who you really do want to listen with, then just make sure they're in the room too. Yeah. All right. See you guys on the other side of the theme song. Andrew, we have to record the podcast. Wake up. Bonk, bonk, bonk. Good morning, cats and kittens. It's a, it's a wild one put out on, there. Put on your booties because it's hot outside. It's a, oh, um, God, it's hot out. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast with the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. That was bad. Well, you come up with a better one. You start on over if you want. I had a weird dream. That's Yeah, so it's fine that we started with you sleeping. Tell me about your dream. I'm trying to remember what it was about. Okay, while I you just, try to I remember... I remember being deeply distressed about it. While you try to remember, uh, I'm going to let the audience know that we are talking about Kushiel's Dart by Jacqueline Carey, uh-huh. um, which is recommended to us by a Patreon supporter, Ellie. So thanks, Ellie. Um, Andrew's going to tell us about this book, but first he's going to tell me about his dream. I don't know. Like a lot, I don't remember what the specific dream was about. Lately, I have a lot of dreams about that, like water coming in the roof, like way, like a lot of water, yeah. like, like coming in and just completely ruining the entire house because our roof has a leak in it. It's just a little leak, but we've also had it for like a year and nobody can fix it. So it's just is becoming a whole thing. It's becoming. It's making me go nuts bit by bit. I'm spiraling. (laughs) Homer, Homer, something, something. When I used to work at Cold Stone Creamery, don't ask me to sing the songs, I would sometimes have dreams. What even is the point of talking about your time at Cold Stone Creamery if you won't sing the songs? I would sometimes have dreams about mixing ice cream, and I would just see my own forearms like digging into ice cream, and I didn't know what to do with them because I wasn't like... They weren't actionable dreams. They were like weird sense memory dreams. Mm-hmm. Not falling, just like perpetually. Scooping. F- scooping and scooping. Scooping and singing. <laughs> scooping and singing. Scoopy, and scoopy, singing. scoop. We scoop for you. Andrew, tell me about. It's sung to the tune of the Scooby Doo theme song, and that's the only one of Craig's Coldstone songs that I know. There's an Adams Family one. It's. It's and they think. I think they replace <laughs> Spooky with Scoopy or Scooping. <laughs> That's all I got. So, Andrew, we're going to talk about this book. Had you ever heard of this book before the show? I had not. I no, I never had. Um, some of our good friends, uh, uh, Christina in particular, was very excited that we were reading this book. Um, but I don't, I don't know anything about it. Okay, can you tell me anything about Jacqueline Carey first, and then I, I guess we can talk about this book, which is it's gonna. It's going to be a wild ride. It's going to get pretty... <laughs> Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, the mm-hmm. podcast. 
Um, I can tell you not as much as I would like. I was talking to you a little bit before we started recording. Um, so Jacqueline Carey uh, is, you know, primarily known for the Kashiels Legacy series, of which this is one. Um, this is the first. This is this the, first. the first in what so far is a series with nine books in it. This trilogy focuses on one character. Uh-huh. The second trilogy is on another character, and then the third trilogy is like way in the future but in the same world so in the same world yeah Mm -hmm. and she has written some like 20 books or something she's got six or seven different series um as you just said these are three of them in one universe and what i found unfortunately i i wanted i was lamenting to you before we started recording like i think with some genre writers of which she is one and she's written in a bunch of different genres mostly fantasy but some sci-fi and other uh and other genres is that like most of the interviews that these authors get to have are really just about their books. And and on one hand, I, I'm sure they're like excited. Let me just talk about the books that I write. But then we don't get some of those like cool, like anecdote laden uh, long form interviews that like quote unquote serious writers get. Where they talk life. about their childhood and what like inspired them and stuff. Yeah. Like I want to know more about like, her folks and I, I don't really have any information on her folks i know she was born in chicago and i know that she got a ba in psychology and english lit in the 80s and i know that she spent some time in london on a foreign exchange program working in a bookstore which is like the nerdiest and coolest thing you can do if you're majoring in english lit like that same that seems pretty dope um, at the same time like why don't you diversify a little bit <laughs> There was I remember in college I was getting my schedule signed off on by my advisor and I was like taking three drama classes and a music class and he just uh-huh. gave me a look. <laughs> he was like, Are we? Like, really, Craig? Is this what we're doing? <laughs> really? And that's why I don't know any math anymore. And um, that's why and that's why that's <laughs> the only thing you can do now. <laughs> so uh so yeah, so she Spent some time over in the UK, and then she came back and decided to embark on a writing career while she was also working in the in the art center of a local college. And her first couple books were published by Tor, who I think published. I don't know if they published some D and D books. They're but, like a super big fantasy book outlet. Like they yeah. published the entire Wheel of Time series. Um, mm. Have they published? Do they publish any? Um, they publish any Song of Game. Ice and Fire I, stuff. I don't. That I don't if that's know. Them. Um, but they, yeah, it's a really, really big fantasy imprint. Totally well known, and um, yeah, like a lot of the, a lot of this, like, like '90s and early 2000s stuff was like they've just been publishing this stuff forever and ever. Yeah, I know that she came to and from working with poor with Tor. Excuse me. Um, she went to go work with Warner Books for like one of the trilogies of the Kushiel universe because they weren't, you know, necessarily confident in the direction she was taking it. Um but then I think uh, she came back with a with a different manuscript. So she's been mm-hmm. working with them for a long time. Um I also found uh I don't know if you were reading about any of her other series, Andrew. There's one called The Sundering which she has explicitly referred to as kind of like a Tolkien-like universe, except it's a tragedy told from the dark side, from, like, the evil guys. Okay. Yeah. I mean, most fictional universes, including the Cushy old universe, 
they're all pretty Tolkien-y, so I don't know like what <laughs> specifically makes that Sundering series like more Tolkien-y. That I like, couldn't, like right I couldn't down to being you. a sort of thinly veiled medieval Europe. Like this, this series is very Tolkien-y. But okay. well, we can maybe um, get into some of that and why this is different. She did uh, her third series, Santa Olivia. She originally was publishing under the pseudonym uh, Madeline Easton, I think because it was a little bit different in genre, and then I'm not quite sure why it's now published under her name. That is, If anybody who's listening can tell me about that, that would be cool to know. So I found a couple interviews where she was talking about the name itself, but then it's like, you know, a couple different maiden names kind of crammed together. Um, I mean, I think the answer is like it. I can't say this for sure, of course. If I had to guess, like under my head, if I had to guess, I would say that nobody bought them and they needed the the <laughs> yeah, sure. they needed the power of a known author's name on it. And so yeah. they said, you know who has a known author's name is you, your real name. So the person who has that? sold a bunch of books. Yeah. See? Sure. Um Kushiel did win her an award i think i think it won yeah so it's it was in 2002 there's an award that the sci-fi and fantasy magazine locus gives out for okay. like a best book and she won that in 2002 cool for cool. this book um and she lives in michigan where she runs a mardi gras crew andrew and crew is spelled K-R-E-W-E. Okay, I think that's an actual thing and not just... No, I know. I looked it up. It's a no, real, I know. It's like like a thing just, that like, people do. Uh, like just hearing I, I run a Mardi Gras crew, it sounds like, <laughs> so what do you do for the rest of the year? But it's like a... It's like running a troop or something. Like the, probably like the mummers, but like probably less racist than the mummers it's, are. It's like the mummers, but like they didn't make up they didn't just make up a holiday like they just they do it for the actual carnival season mm-hmm. or like Mardi Gras and they do it in other towns mostly here in the United States um and it's not just an excuse for white union workers to get drunk during the day it seems like it i would probably would probably like to go get drunk at a party thrown by her Mardi Gras crew in Michigan rather than go to 2 street here in Philly so, um <laughs> Yeah, and she's got, you know, she's been working for a long time um, and has churned out a lot of books that people seem to really dig. And I kind of want to get into the book here because I think that'll kind of, we need to kind of know the type of stuff that she's written, I think, at this point, Andrew. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell me about Kashiel's dart? Who is Kashiel? What's with the dart? Okay, so to explain the kushiel thing is to get into like the the world and the backdrop for her like creating the world so kushiel is um one of the angels of punishment in the actual like judeo-christian oh okay who like punishes people in hell oh cool (laughs) great so this book it takes place in a sort of like fantasy slash alternate fiction version of medieval europe like actual okay. medieval Europe and and like like I said like Tolkien I think like there are a lot of spots in Tolkien that sort of vaguely correspond to spots in Europe but this is explicit to the point that the map 
is recognizably Europe. Like this, this book, like many fantasy books, you open it up and the first thing you see is a map with weird <laughs> names all over it. And this one is pretty much just Europe. Okay, so it's not like we are in the magic Middle Earth. We are like we are on planet Earth, but some different things happened. Yeah, so like a lot of the, a lot of the names are actual biblical names. Um, there are a lot of things that actually happened, or like countries that actually existed that just have slightly different names. So like the Roman Empire was definitely a thing. Yeah, but in this it's called Tiberium. Okay, which is adjacent. Okay, sure, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and they and they ran like and they ran the world for a while, or like you know the the world as is contained in this book. And then, whereas the real Roman Empire got like overrun by by external forces after like many years of being weakened with like weakened from within, this version of the Roman Empire sort of broke up because of like political machinations and internal divisions. So a slightly um, more exciting version. Than just we were lazy for a thousand years (laughs) or whatever happened. I don't think I would say like more exciting. Like the actual Empire stuff is pretty exciting, (laughs) but um, just different. Okay, sure, just different. Um, and oh, like actually, there were like rebel angels who came to Earth and had sex with everybody and like spawned this entire race of people called the D'Angelines. Okay, cool. Who are very sexy and horny all the time. <laughs> okay. So I might giggle at some of the sex stuff in this episode just because I'm a Just doofus. because you're you, I guess. I'm too I'm like I'm very tired. I'm too tired to like giggle about anything. I'm just so I'm just gonna give you a very straight faced version of all the sexy things that happen in this book. Okay. So there's so, some sexy angels in ancient not Rome. Well, so it's, not, it's so we're it's it's not sexy angels showing up. It's just like these these the people we are spending most of our time with are supposedly descended from angels, and it's this entire race called the De Angelines who live in Terra De Ange or Ange. So Earth Earth of like the, the, angels. the land of the angels. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And everybody is very sexy and horny. Now, do they and, like have a religion? With these angels, are they like angels from? They are mostly it? angels from what we would think of as like the Christian faith, but okay, that, like okay. Christianity doesn't exist in this book, even though like Jesus kind of does and the Jews kind of do. Okay, um, cool. but they all, you know, they all get vaguely like slightly changed names and and different places in in um in society, I guess. But like I. It's not that important to get into all of that, I don't think. Okay. Um, but the the main so we we end up spending most of our time with this woman named uh, Fedra, and sure. her deal. And so we follow. We are in from her perspective the entire time. The, it's being relayed to us as though it is some kind of journal or communique from her to us. Okay. Um, cool. And we're following her from her childhood up through her very eventful adolescence and adulthood. So she is, um, I guess she's kind of a unwanted child. She's like the the daughter of a of a horror, basically, is how she's referred to multiple times in the book. Like when people okay. are trying to disparage her, um, and 
so she's brought to this this place that's called in the book is called the night court and i know what you're thinking marky post is not involved in any way (laughs) with this with this night court this is not a funny court that happens at night this is like a like a night court you know like you can see my eyebrows going like a night court i can do people get like sentenced to sex it's basically religious sex school (laughs) oh okay cool so there's this uh there's this particular angel called naama i believe is how you pronounce it lots of apostrophes it seems like in her well no no apostrophes like again this is a traditional hebrew name i think so that's, oh as you pronounce it I, the... I presumed one sorry sorry sorry, sorry. yeah no okay. you can you can hear apostrophes in there and there are definitely a bunch of apostrophes in a lot of the names in this book but um so like the the story goes that this particular angel like when the the original angel people who were wandering didn't have any anything to spend on like food or whatever she sold her body for money to to get everybody the stuff they needed. And so oh. in this in this tradition like women are raised to be like courtesans in this in this night court in the night court. And they like so they they are trained up and then people like buy their like buy their service or like buy them for an amount of time and then like set up a bunch of rendezvous with different clients and over time like this the the women who are who are going out and having sex with everybody like they earn gifts from the people they have sex with and then eventually they use the gifts like the gifts they earn by their freedom from the people who like bought them in the first place. And also they're honoring this thing that this God did. So it's not technically like slavery prostitution. So what I was going to say is like, it presumes, <laughs> it presumes a world where at least on the surface, this type of work is virtuous. Yeah. There, there is a, there's an honor to it. And um, I get the, like the, the motto of this one like head angel guy was love as thou wilt, which just means anything goes like don't yuck any yums. It's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or like just have as many yums as you can, as you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so everybody, everybody in the society is again, very, very horny and cool with pretty much anything. So like, like they're very into uh, sexuality being a spectrum. They cool, are cool. accepting of many different kinds of f- like fetishes, I guess, for lack of a better word. And like, so, like some people keep their particular tastes hidden just as like, a, a, like in this world, which is also very like politically dense. You don't want people to know your weaknesses if you can help it. Oh, but it's, ooh. but like, you if you're looking for something you can find it pretty much that's an deal so can i ask it and maybe this doesn't get answered in the book so this might end up being a thought experiment question andrew but i would like to ask it that's fine um this kingdom of angel sex Mm -hmm. that exists where everyone yeah that's what it's called everyone gets their freak on as much as they want Mm -hmm. is this like the only nation or kingdom that you see in the book are there no. other okay so there are foreign powers 
Yeah, there are a bunch of other, like the the former pieces of the Tiberian Empire. And are those countries as freaky? Now, everybody who Fedra meets who is not a D'Angeline, she notes that they are not that pretty or Ooh. that there's something about them that's attractive, but of course they're not as pretty as a D'Ange- as like a horny angel. And they are not as down to go downtown in whatever now, way lots, you want. Now, lots of people do go downtown, but they don't... <laughs> they don't visit every club. No, there, there's not a... There's not, like, sexy courtesan school in all these other countries okay so they don't have okay okay but like a lot like a lot of what happens in this is this book is her like i guess plying her trade in a bunch of different creative ways to (laughs) form political alliances okay so the way i'm describing it is very it makes it sound very steamy but it's important to note that it is not like presented as such in the book Sure, sure. That's the benefit of like creating a world where this is like on the up where and up. everybody's horny and you're supposed to be horny and it's fine for you to be horny. <laughs> Just get horny and get yours. Yeah, I think we're. I don't know. Maybe we're. Could we be? I wish we were on the cusp of this world. I wish that like you wish that the world was a hornier place to live. I I do. I don't you. I mean, I guess, like, generally, I don't, you like, you sound like you have some kind of personal stake in it. No, I just think that it'd be better for people, as long as, like, everyone was cool with it. I guess that's always well, the that's risk the, you that's run. That's, like, the deal, is that everybody's cool with it. So, can I ask a, can I ask a, a functional question? You don't have to keep asking if you can ask questions, you can just ask the questions. Mm. Well, oh, but wow. actually, this, it, that's funny, this dovetails with the question I want to ask. What about consent? Like, how are there any issues there in the sex in this book? Because that's something that we talked about uh, in some of the other books, like Outlander and the Fifty Shades series, where, like, sex is part of how these people in these books, like, that's their currency. That's their emotional currency. Yeah, Um, so rape, definitely a crime, definitely looked down upon. Like, it's one of the worst things you can do. Okay, okay. Um, the, the people are allowed to choose their clients within reason. And of course that depends a little bit on like the relationship between the, the, like, I don't want to say prostitute, but courtesan makes me sound like I'm living in the 1800s. So the, I guess the relationship between the persons on the supply side of the sex operation and the person who like owns, owns them. Okay. You made it sound so much worse. It's very Just like court, either like, like sex, sex <laughs> economics. Yeah, you're either wearing a tweed jacket or like a pince nez and smoking a cigar. Like, I mean, at least we're not talking about trickle down economics. No. Am I right? <laughs> so, so we're talking. About, we're talking about <laughs> this uh, woman, Fedra. She. She goes to night court. And yeah, like at the age of so at the age of, of of like four, she goes to night court, and from four to ten, you just like you learn how to make to like please people in non sexual ways. So you're okay. like serving them stuff, and you're learning how to like kneel and and be obedient and be and just like to listen, pretty much. Sure. Okay. 
And is it just women or are there men there too? There are men in, involved. I don't remember if there are men at the night court in particular, but there definitely are men who also fulfill this role. Okay. And like the so the like the visual signifier that it uses is there's this like back tattoo that everybody gets called a mark. M-A-R-Q-U-E. Very French. Yep. And so like whenever somebody who you sex gives you like a gift, like money, you go to the tattoo shop and you get a little bit more of your mark done up. And then when it's finished, you are like free to do as you will after that. Huh. That would explain why there's a whole section of Jacqueline Carey's website devoted to that fan tattoos. That is just back tattoos. <laughs> it, uh-huh. I'm not kidding, Andrew. I don't know if you went there. But there I'm, are no. I'm like whenever I did any Google image search associated in any way with this book, it's just wall to wall back tattoos. <laughs> Some arm and leg tattoos, but there are a lot of back tattoos, a lot of high back tattoos. Um, yeah, it's which, not like a, yeah. it's not a lower back thing. It's like all the way up your spine. Sure, and many of them say "love as thou wilt." Some of them say this phrase: "That which yields is not always weak." Yeah, that's a thing in this book. Okay, that seems like a, that seems like a, a another useful motto for those doing this line of work. Like mm. there, there is strength in submission. Yeah. So okay, so we've established this is like fake Europe. Okay. Everybody is beautiful and loves to get freaky. Okay. And there's a like a religious sect apparent like that's that's like dedicated to the sexual arts. Yeah. And so it's like cool. It's not like the most liberal of arts. The yeah. <laughs> An extremely liberal art. Um so in this we get Fedra and she has like this red speck in her eye basically. It's like a, a moat that I I think like the way I understand it is it's like a a blood red dot spot like in her iris. It oh, could be okay. somewhere else in her eye, but that was like my understanding of it in the book and how I pictured it. Sure. Um, and it, it's it's thought of as a flaw, I guess, by most of the people, including the people who run the night court. But um, they agree to like raise her anyway because her mom doesn't want her. Like she has only very dim memories of her parents, and it's mostly of her being like given away to to the night court um but people who are like very scholarly and well-versed know that this thing is called kushiel's dart Ooh, and it sort of marks her as what the book calls an anguisette it basically means somebody who gets off on pain oh okay and so you might imagine in this world where everybody's freaky all the time that the services of somebody who gets off on pain may attract a, like a specific and highly motivated clientele. I would suspect that to be the case. Yes. Mm-hmm. So is this, is it a thing? I have a question about this. Does she feel pain, but also it feels good yes. or does it just feel good? She feels pain, but also it feels good. So if she put her hand on the stove, and that, rela- that relationship between pain and pleasure is is complex and something we'll probably get a little bit further into. I don't know about putting your hand on the stove. I think mostly we're talking about in the context of like getting cut or whipped or that kind what, of stuff within a like within a sexual like event frame. 
Yeah. So, and like, that's, that's the other thing, like you asked about, um, consent. So yeah, like rape is bad. Worst thing you can do. Super terrible. And she only comes within like she, she is, that never happens to her in the book though. There is a notable like close call. Okay. Um, Okay. But the other thing to take note of is that there is like this, this universally agreed upon concept where everybody has a safe word and you got to obey the safe word. Okay, cool. Um, it's not called a safe word. It's called something else, but that's basically what something it is. cooler and vaguely French. Yes, sure. Does everyone use the same safe word or do no. they get to come up with their own? They get to like, come up with their own. Like bank passwords. <laughs> like bank passwords. Yes, yes, they get to come up with their own. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, so she's, like, for most people who go through the night court, I think they have a specific destination in mind for them. But because she has this red moat in her eye, like, that's not the case for her. So she is, she's being brought up here, and this guy named, this dude named Delani shows up one day, and he, like, takes a liking to her and says, I, I will buy her. And take her into my service. Okay. Um, and this guy, Delani, turns out to be like a, a high-level political operative. And he's got another, like a, a boy in his service also. And they are both like sex people. <laughs> but also he trains them like to understand a bunch of different languages. And to understand like the undercurrents of things. And to be deeply versed in politics so like he they go and have sex with people and in the process they collect information from from people who heard you know they might have their guard down like thinking that they're just dealing with sex priests so what you're saying is that Mm -hmm. james bond is descended from a race of sex angels he's way like creepier and worse though but in oh yeah I guess he does sometimes exchange sex for information, but you're not, missing not, the whole okay. like you're missing like the whole like servant of a a sex angel. Yeah, aspect sure, of the sure. Thing. Okay, that's yeah. a good point. I did. Maybe, I mean, though. like, listen, it's a good try at a goof, but also James Bond is like a chauvinist monster, so I don't know that I want to like conflate him. With yeah, these beautiful, that's fair. Okay. very open-minded sex angels. That's a good point. He is not mm-hmm. very open-minded. And I think well, there's a historical frame of reference for like, I think the, her name was like Mata Hari, who was like a courtesan spy in the early 20th century. I don't think that she was a sex angel because she was a real person, but um, probably not as problematic as James Bond. So anyway. Probably so not. I mean, it would they're be being, hard to be. <laughs> they're being trained as... Uh, as both like people who are very good at sex and also as political operatives okay cool and so that's that's i like i may have said i know i said this to you i don't know if i mentioned it like in the actual recording of the show yet but i don't want to get into a blow by blow blow plot thing because this is the kind of fantasy book that is super super heavy on building this really really intricate world with a lot of different factions and political undercurrents and then just like throwing you in a deep end so there are like a million little twists and turns and betrayals and unbetrayals and alliances and and conspiracies and i'm just i'm not going to get into all of them because 
like they are interesting, but it's not the most interesting thing the book is doing, I don't think. Can you at the very least set up what the like stakes of Delaney's work is? Like what is is there a MacGuffin in the book or is there a particular crisis he's like so the, using the... Sex main, courtesans to solve. The main deal is that the king of Angel Land is getting old and sick, and there is no one who has a particularly strong like claim to the throne after him. Okay, okay. Because his son was killed and also was Delani's lover, like back mm. in the day. Okay. Which um adds a whole different like wrinkle to it, but so you have a whole bunch of different political families kind of jockeying for, to like be married to the king's granddaughter and and to gain the throne that way and then she also could just be queen in her own right and but but like there's a lot of a lot of politicking and not a lot of like like people kind of sense this this coming instability and are trying to capitalize on it. Well at the same time there's this like like think of them as a sort of Germanic barbaric warrior race. Sure. Okay. That is located to the east of of Angel Land, roughly where Germany and Poland and a few other places would be now. Who they, like they've always been very tribal and like have been fighting amongst themselves, but there are these low rumblings that there is a uh uh king in the like north of the wall, I guess. <laughs> To see, like the words "Game of Thrones" are literally used in this book, and so, like, I'm not sure to what extent that is coincidence or homage or like ripoff. But okay, the stuff where there is a a barbaric warrior race living, like away from the the sweet, awesome Angel Land in like the wintry mountains, but they're also unifying for the first time under this barbarian King figure. Like that seems pretty game of Thrones. Yeah. And and so I was just double checking dates. So this book was 2001 song of ice and fire started in like the mid 90s, right? 91. Oh Uh, oh, no, he started in 91 and came out in 96. Excuse me. So yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Cause I, I thought I remember that like the first game of Thrones book in the first wheel of time book came out at roughly the same time oh sure and that I mean, was 95 or 96 but also too. if you think about just the the layout of like rome and the rest of europe like there are a bunch of tribes coming down to mess with the empire from mountains up top like that's, that's well, i mean not we're, like... we're talking like coming to france from germany so like italy like tiberium is still around and still mentioned but their political and military influence has long since waned so like in terms of cardinal directions, it's not really the same, but okay. in terms okay. of like narrative setup, it is it is pretty similar. There's plenty of precedent. Okay, and so so there's this, this there's also the sense that this looming external threat may be coming to bear at the same time as mm. like internal political machinations are making them weaker, more vulnerable. Yeah. Yes, there's a power vacuum. Yeah. So also what? a sex move. The power vacuum. <laughs> God. So that's the, okay, so that's the main backdrop, and so what ends up happening is Delana gets killed. Oh, because he's he's in too deep, basically, and there are, there are people scheming who have out schemed him, and through some 
through like a, a an underestimation of Fedra and her capabilities. Basically, like so everybody in the house is killed, but this woman named Melisandre, who's kind of like the architect behind all the bad stuff. Sure, that's sure. We come, we come to realize like she is she and Fedra have this weird like love hate relationship where Fedra is like super into her to the point where even though she hates her, like she can't not also be attracted to her, which is where you get into some of the like pleasure versus pain stuff and some areas of the book where Fedra actually like hates what she is because she can't help, but, but enjoy like pain. Sure. Even when it's inflicted upon her by people who mean her actual harm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then she kind of like steps up, I imagine. And and it plays a role in the, whatever crisis gets resolved within yeah, this exactly book. so so instead of instead of killing her melisandre like sends her and her like warrior protector figure into slavery with these like germanic barbarian people who are going to invade and so she ends up like Li- they they end up living among them for a couple months and like finding out the depth of this conspiracy and confirming yeah there is this like king figure who is unifying this fractured people and they are conspiring with some people in the kingdom to get power but also people are being like double crossed and okay and betrayed like left messy. and right yeah so yeah it, so it gets messy so she like she makes it back and she talks to the the king's granddaughter and the king in the meantime has gotten very sick and is like dies not long after they get back and she is sent on this quest to like solidify some political alliances and expose the like the betrayal of these other people and and even though she is not she's not an ambassador and she doesn't have any particular fighting experience she is able to use her sexual skills to to forge new ties and like bring all this stuff to bear and and ultimately save the day but bum 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 there's like a cliffhanger chapter sure. at the very end that sets up the second book in the series okay so, there you go cool so, that, um, so that's, that's like as that's as into yeah. the plot as i want to get and it's like the broad strokes thing that's and... use that's just useful to kind of know what type of fantasy story arc she's playing with and uh, it sounds like the the world building is the more unique aspects of this book and and how sex factors into that world building so i want to get back into that um but it's just kind of useful to know what the what the overlay is because as you pointed out there's so many tropes that she's that she's playing with right so go ahead so go ahead what what do you want to say about the about it's like i i think the the Things like the the comparison points that are most useful from our perspective are like Game of Thrones because it's just like what mo- like that big modern fantasy benchmark that you can easily use as a as a comparison point for anything else, especially now and and where it is in the zeitgeist. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah, and um and Fifty Shades for us in particular because we read <laughs> all of those and and they're just like they're just. And it's not because of the sex stuff. They are just really bad books that 
like they're just poorly constructed books that are notable because they have sexy things in them. Sure. And and we unfortunately are not equipped to come to this discussion with like all of the books in between that certainly exist, like the the romance novels and you know we read a goofy one for Christmas and we've you know touched on this but like especially for this show we have not covered that many books that are explicit in their sexual content in a way that is like this isn't this is why the book is here yeah but just in in talking about and what we're going to do i think for the rest of the time is just talk about where the book succeeds and doesn't and i think those are the two most important like reference points for what i have to talk about anyway okay um so what do you like what do you want to hit first like you said you had questions you've asked a few questions do you have any directions you'd like to try and go in well, talk to me about how the, uh, like how the, not specifically the night court stuff, but like before she gets picked up by Dylan A or maybe early on in her time with him, like what is her experience in this work? How does that feel to you as the reader in terms of like, are these sections just supposed to be titillating or are they trying to say something about sexual relations and and you know physical love or or not or yeah or... i mean the the thing about the the sex in this book is it's really like it's not it is very important to talk mostly about the sex stuff so you kind of understand how the world works and also how fedra works within it but the book itself like it, it doles out the actual explicit sex scenes like fairly sparingly actually okay so when you're when you're seeing fedra like adopted by delani and going through like like sex training basically to like to, <laughs> to learn all the all of Na- naama's arts and to get really really good at helping people be happy i guess wait but what okay what does the book call it though like what is the what language are they using to that, describe yeah, her na, na, aims? Naama's na, arts are like what they're what they're referred to as usually. But tell me what they refer to people being happy as, because that's not what it says. I'm sure, or like what is the gist of it? No, a lot a lot of time like finishing is obscured by a sort of flash to white almost. <laughs> Same. Okay. Like every every once in a while, you get a reference to like seed and stuff. But okay, oh, that's I'm trying to figure out like what the tone of the sex in this book is because you were you were also talking earlier. There's like a lot of you you didn't want to use some of the words that were in the book because you felt like you were like being a faux 19th century Frenchman. So like, what is the vibe of this world from a linguistic point of view? Yeah, I mean the the way that the sex scenes happen you're you're focused almost exclusively on like the foreplay bit of it because that's okay. where the pain mostly comes in huh you do get like a pretty explicit bit where she gets like somebody takes a little bit too far and like pokes her with a like a hot fire poker yeah. and not like not like right in the right in the vagina but like on her inner thigh and like yeah. that so that goes a little bit too far okay but um I don't want. I don't want to say it's it's tame because it's not. But like the actual act of like penetration or of 
orgasming or whatever is not like you don't get into it that much. It's mostly okay. about like it's about the pain. It's about like Fedra's relationship with that pain and like when it feels good and when it doesn't and when it feels good, even though she doesn't want it to. And also what like the end is because there generally is some kind of like th- there is some kind of ulterior motive, I guess, like whether whether it's because she is in slavery with these barbarian people and like forced to do this thing mm-hmm. or like because she's trying to get information for Delani. Like there, it's it's the number of times that she actually has sex with somebody because she just wants to have sex with them is rare enough that she like comments on it every time it happens. Oh, okay. Okay. What's it like to be like in her head during some of these sections? Do you have a good passage? Do you want to just share a reaction? I just like, I guess my main complaint, and I don't even know if it's a complaint about the book so much as it is like a, a genre hazard is okay this this book has a bunch of lingo in it a ton of like weird names and location names and and families and whatever like it like it starts with a map and then it starts with a multi-page list of names just names 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 that you've never read before that you cannot you absolutely cannot distinguish from each other or keep straight Mm -hmm. like to the point where even pretty late in the book there were actually still like twists and like reveals that were being lost on me a bit because like, I just did not remember who the person was who had shown up or who had done something. Sure. Because like either I didn't remember them from before or I was getting them confused with somebody else. Like it was really actually valuable to have Amazon's uh, x-ray feature in this book because it'll, For books that support it, like you can highlight a name and it will give you a quick blurb. Like, here's who this person is and who they're related to. Yeah. And that helped me out like a ton. There were a couple of points where I was reading and I was like, you know, I've been reading for like a chapter and a half (laughs) and I'm not 100% sure what the stakes are. Like, either I never understood it in the first place or I've just kind of lost the thread. And then I can like go and I can highlight a name and I can be like, oh, that's why we're doing this. That's why we're spending all this time doing this. So, how does this kind of world building work even though it's from her point of view? Is it because she's like info dumping to the reader or That's, yeah, like the mo- the first like quarter of the book, maybe even a little bit more than that is just straight info dumping. Like you start with her when she's four years old and she is a student of one person or institution or another, basically up to the time where things go south and Delani gets killed. Okay. Okay. And even and even after that, like even then you're being introduced to like new cultures and and like she will be familiar with the language or whatever, but she'll usually be accompanied by somebody who she has to translate for or explain stuff to. So that's like it's it's done fairly gracefully. Like she the like, uh Carrie has built herself a reason to explain everything to everyone and it's because you're you're with one protagonist literally from the time that she is a child and doesn't know anything. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and I'll like, it's done fairly well. It is a ton to keep track of. And that's most of the problem is just like, you're just over the course of like a 900 page book. You're just not going to remember every name. Yeah. And that, I guess that's what the, what the list of characters at the beginning is there for. But I found it, 
a little bit frustrating actually that the cast was so large and sort of samey in some cases that it was just it was difficult to stay all the way because you'd be reading this like really intense battle sequence or like some kind of political something and you get to a name and it just it'd be like okay I don't quite recognize this name but I'm gonna keep going because I'm sure I'll get it from context well she's not really giving me any context uh well, okay this is I, frustrating can I, I need can to I stop push you on that though because um I you have read more large fantasy books than I have so like how does this compare to some of those like maybe Wheel of Time is an example. Does do some of those have smaller? I don't know that Wheel of Time has a smaller cast list, but well, let's let, so yeah. Let's take Wheel of Time and even maybe Game of Thrones as an example. Those books start small, uh huh, and they establish some. I mean, they they use multiple points of view for one. So like you do okay. get a better okay. sense of more characters, and you spend time with with more characters from within their own head. So that, that I'm not saying this book needs that. I would not be surprised if in subsequent books, she starts doing that to give us more perspectives, especially with characters who, who are like particularly well established in this one. And that could be a way um, to give the reader something to hang their hat on when, when you encounter that name later or you encounter. Yes, right. So, yeah, so okay. yeah, you have you in those books, you have point of view characters and also, yeah, you start small, like Game of Thrones, like the Song of Ice and Fire series. You start in Winterfell with the Starks and you sure. spend a pretty good amount of time with them before you really start getting a ton of other characters who you're supposed to pay attention to. And, and they are kind of slowly added one by one and you come to and, and like the dynamics between different characters and different families are established and then hit on pretty good a couple times before you move on to the next thing okay in um in the wheel of time like the first one is very much like uh it's very very tolkien-esque like to the point where the structure is is very like there and back again but again you like start in a in this small village with just a few characters um the author does a good job like establishing those characters positions in the community and their relationships with each other and so you have a pretty good understanding of them by the time you get like past the quiet parts like the quiet introductory part of any fantasy book and you get into the oh no things have gone south it's time to have an adventure part of it okay does that make sense no that does make sense i'm i i think we when we hit on the the fact that it's first person and how that impacts a a fantasy epic that certainly makes more sense to me as like why it might be harder to hold on to, to information if there isn't a way for Carrie to like jump even briefly to another point of view. Um, are there any other secondary characters that we've either like alluded to or that you or that we haven't mentioned that you dug or thought were, were pretty cool? Because I've heard I read in a couple interviews people like specifically excited to talk about some of the secondary characters either either even going a little further into Delaney or the other guy that was around yeah so um what's his deal um yeah the, so the problem i'm describing is mostly an issue with the wider political stuff like whenever you're not spending like fedra is pretty well defined delaney is pretty well defined there's this guy named um alcuin or i'm not sure how you would pronounce it i think most of the pronunciations are intended to be french but um 
it's he's Delaney's other pupil and you get like a pretty good sense of him because you get a lot of time with him and Fedra just like interacting. Um, her like guard person is named uh, Jocelyn and you get a good sense of him because he's like this very particular kind of knight and like he takes a very particular set of vows and so the stakes for him are often like him acting against his vows oh that's a fun trope i like that okay yeah or like or or like initially he and fedder really do not like each other but also they are sent through this this gauntlet when they both get captive they both get captured together and so you spend a lot of time like developing that character and seeing his journey um there um there's this character named hyacinth who is like half de angeline and half um Basically, a, a sort of nomadic, so only partially sort sex of obsessed character. <laughs> um, cool. Okay, and so the, and so yeah, like the characters who spend a lot of time with Fedra, especially like ones who you are, who are physically and emotionally close to her, because you spend all the time like in her perspective, experiencing things from her perspective, the people who she spends a lot of time with, you actually get a really good, you get a good sense of because. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Just, just because you, you get a chance to see their journeys and, and something that this book does that 50 shades of gray does not like one of that, (laughs) one of that book's main problems was that you just, you got absolutely no sense of the characters as real people who wanted anything yeah, okay. Beyond stuffing Benoit balls wherever. Yeah. You know, well, like like it was just who doesn't, there was, but all the text was a bunch of weird filler in between sex scenes and they were just always thinking about each other and obsessed with each other and whatever. Like these the the characters who you do spend time with and who you do get a lot of texture for, like they they are things or they want things or sure. they like you just and then also they have sex with each other sometimes. Like it's, they're much better developed as characters and as people than I think you get in a lot of like pot boiler romance. Sure. Sort of things. Can I take us home with one more question about the sex, please? Of course. Fine. If you insist. I think one of the things that, um, it's crucial to how Fifty Shades works, but then ultimately I think we found it terribly wanting, is <laughs> um, her neophyte status in that world like really led to a lot of like, oh my god, what is even happening? Like, what is a the, butt plug? The fact I mean, she's... I understand both the words in that, but... <laughs> like she's going in, she is a virgin going into that world, so like it's... It, it, she's falling into the deep end and then like the it's a mess so it sounds like Fedra is like deliberately being educated in this work and then f- using that to greater ends so are there like sex scenes or in general uh if you if it's easier like what is it to have a character that is perhaps like more experienced getting it from her point of view with this particular like type of sex or are there still plenty of scenes where she's like, Oh, this is a new one. I hadn't heard of this one before. No, 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 no. Like she is, she has gone to sex school. Like she is the, (laughs) if if there's anything that has to do with her inexperience, it's, uh huh. If there's anything that has anything to do with her experience, it's just like, 
toward the beginning, she gets a little antsy about wanting to put uh, put things into actual practice that she okay. has learned in okay. academic settings, like to to lose her virginity. Finally, she is she's like champing at the bit for that to happen. Whoa. Um. But I think the. I guess the more interesting thing that the book is trying to do in the sex scenes or or like the reason they exist beyond being a little titillating, I guess. Like I like personally, I didn't like I was not. I didn't. Uh, you didn't have to put the book down is what, is what you're saying. <laughs> I was not doing a lot of one handed reading. If okay. you catch my. <laughs> um. It's it's focusing more on her relationships with different clients and like she says like she comes to love all of her like all of her clients a little bit in like different ways. And so to the extent that she is learning anything, it's like she is feeling out her clients and like trying to get a sense for what they want. And then by the end of the book, while she's when she's doing political stuff that also where she's also using her body for like for political means. Um, she's like, well, I, I've, n- I've never, I have always been able to suss out what my clients want. And I just hope that I can keep, I hope I'm not wrong in this particular case where I'm putting myself out on the, Oh, okay. Like on the line, like there's this, there's this one um, race of people who are ruled over by a twin brother and sister and they like need to agree on stuff before they will do it. So like she's trying to convince them to lend her their like forces and the sister is like gung ho and super into it and the brother is like, eh, I don't think so. But um so she has like a drunken sex with the sister and then like she she sort of tempts the brother and like makes him jealous until he and like doesn't he he doesn't she doesn't trick him because she knows that he wants it but she like goads him a little bit and like and plays on his jealousy of his sister to like one like have sex with him and then to like <laughs> use that to get his enthusiastic agreement to like lend her their help if that makes sense okay oh it's all I'm about also like getting, what i'm also getting from this is that she's pretty good at sex is also she's what you're saying pretty good at it okay she's pretty that good helps at it. she did go to sex school if you yeah you come out the night court you know what you're gonna do mm-hmm. so yeah so like yeah that's it's it's i feel like we didn't i certainly thought that we were gonna dig deeper into some boudoir behavior but it sounds like well like it's, that's not necessarily your takeaways or do you it's, think it, it's it was a, fine it's, it's a fantasy novel where sex is worked into the in like thoroughly worked into the the Yay. lore and the mythology and stuff uh-huh. but it also is not the only reason that the book exists it's like sure it, okay like tolkien is very like very chaste and nobody has Nobody, like nobody has sex bones with in that world. Nobody bones in Tolkien at all. It's amazing there are even people there. <laughs> there no are boning. people, and there are also tree people. Like, can you imagine two tree? Like, how do two tree people even get freaky? Like, what Very branches get stuck slowly? <laughs> <laughs> Tantric tree sex. 
is really oh, what's man. going on down there. Uh, um, worm tongue. Stop <laughs> it! Get out of here. <laughs> but but yeah, it, it's just like it. It's a little bit. It's not what if Tolkien butt sex, but it's like <laughs> what if. What if fairly fully realized fantasy world, but they were all like everybody who lived in it was a horny hot angel. You can't keep using the word butt in these sentences, Andrew. Oh, yeah. No, that's not what I meant. (laughs) Sure. What if Tolkien accepts sex? Okay, that's better. Yeah. What if he accepted sex? So if uh, you, the listener, want to weigh in on this book. Um, if we didn't talk about your favorite scene or you uh, have any other questions, you can write in. You can let us know. You can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. You can use social media. That's the hot new thing. We're on Facebook and Twitter at OverduePod. Um, a bunch of people, a lot of people were awesome and sent us the Atlas Obscura oh, article. Yeah, he meant we got that so many times and I was happy every time that we and, got it. And everyone was like, "Like, oh, I hope you guys haven't gotten this yet. Here it is. Or I hope this doesn't ruin things for you. Here it is. And it's a really cool article. Are you pulling it up right now, Andrew, for like reference? What are you doing? No, I'm not. I'm just, okay. I'm just screwing around while you <laughs> do this part. <laughs> um, it was a great atlasobscura.com piece about the structure of choose your own adventure books and which ones are different than others. Um, so I'm among, sure we like retweeted it or something. Yeah, I'm sure we did uh, among the list of folks. That I'm going to read in just a second. Uh, plenty of them sent that into us. So this is not everyone, but thanks Jacqueline, Ashley, Tysophine, Sean, Lola, Charlotte, Catherine, Bovin, Starfish, Dick, Joshua, Dunderment, Mrs. WT, Leanne, Karen, Phantom, Julie, Lynn, Vesperan, Graham, Abby, Kelly, Lee, Jennifer, Melissa, Teresa, Sarah, Katie, Jake, and Wendy, and many more for writing in and making us feel great over the past week. Uh, we hope you've been enjoying recent episodes. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website, where we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Um, we have links to our Patreon project, which you can use to support the show. We have links to all the social media stuff that Craig mentioned earlier. And we also have links to RSS, Google Play, Stitcher, and um, iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called now. You can use all those feeds to subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they go up. Um, if you do subscribe in iTunes, rate and review us because it helps us rise in those esoteric algorithms and conquer the charts and it helps more people find the show. And it usually makes us feel good unless you're saying bad things, which why would you do that to us? You're a better person you, than that. We give you so much content for free. It's true. And we say so many stupid things. Um for free. <laughs> we have we also have links to Headgum our podcast network and Spreaker our podcast host. Go check them out and support the other shows on the network and and do that stuff. Um Craig, what are you reading next week? I'm reading The Secret Garden. Classic. Ooh. I hear uh, there's one of those inside all of us, but I guess I guess we'll find that out. Remains to together. Be seen. <laughs> if you, huge, huge, huge if true. Yeah. Um and also we have two live shows coming out this summer, one up in Boston, bit.ly slash overdue hotties. Come check us out. Tickets uh, are running low. Tickets Buy are running now. low. Uh and then we have a free show down as part of the Philly Podfest, uh July twenty third, I think. So you can check out our Facebook page for that or phillypodfest.com. Um, that's it, Andrew. Cool. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Um, thanks for getting horny with us. This hey, week. now. <laughs> and until next Monday, try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast.